Our text is Revelation chapter 9. Now as we continue from this morning, here's we're looking at how people are tormented eternally. And we're looking at the place called hell. That's where a soul, if he dies, goes without Christ. That's where they go is to hell. And so that's what it's talking about. And I appreciated that orange blossom special just a little while ago. We, this was back, uh, Brother Matt Loman was here. We had a family in here that was uh, playing some uh, music. They had the violins. They had all of that stuff, you know. And they were really good, good, solid Christian music. I mean, it, it was very good. And uh, we were having a baptism that night. So I had heard them before in another place, another church one time when I was on vacation. I said, man, i got to get them down here. So we had them here. And... Uh, enjoyed their playing, the instruments. All the children played instruments. It was great. And so I asked them before the services, I says, you know, have a baptism tonight, and I'm going to have my youth director do the baptizing, so uh, can you come up and do another special? And she said, well, can my daughter uh, play the one that she won the Florida State thing with uh, uh, for, you know, all the competitions? I said, well, sure. I was not thinking. And so uh, they went up to get ready for baptism. I announced them to come up. And then I saw that foot go. I said, I think I'm in trouble. And sure enough, she played the Orange Blossom special. And I saw people looking at me going, you know, so. But uh, it, it was interesting. So when I heard that, I said, okay, I remember that happening before. <laughs> okay. Actually, they played it, though. <laughs> Nobody asked her to. She just did it. Uh, but um, I, that way, that goes way back there. Well, our text is in Revelation chapter 9. Again, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, uh, fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Well, let's pray now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word tonight and to see what you have to say here. Now, Lord, I know that um, these are things that we as Christians should just have a burning fire in our heart when we know what lies ahead for those who die without Christ should just light that, that fire that seeks to bring those souls to the Savior. Lord, as we see the various things going on in our country today, as well as around the world, it's not just here. We see multitudes in need of Jesus Christ as Savior. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give us that burden for the souls of men in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, this morning... I got started, and uh, to be quite frank with you, uh, I got through my introduction this morning and not the sermon, okay? Uh, but uh, I had fun. Uh, it was a nice trip. I just don't know how I got there, but I did. But now, I, I uh, want to just kind of read what I had for introduction. You'll say, it took you that long to do that introduction? Yes, that's true, but I want to set it up for tonight. So I'm just going to read it now, all right? I started out by saying last time, which would have been last week, we saw the star is an angel. He falls from heaven. 
and this angel sent by God. We must remember that tribulation is not Satan judging the world. Rather, it is God judging through angels, nature, sickness, lawlessness, and a host of other things. This angel is given by God the key to the bottomless pit. And it is the key to the bottomless pit. And uh, we saw that Jesus has the keys of hell and of death. And so we looked at, well, hell, we kind of have an idea. What is death? Well, death is eternal separation from God forever in hell. But he wants souls uh, to be saved as a result because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, for Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. We don't ever merit salvation. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was of preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism uh, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, that good conscience, you don't have it if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, depending totally on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sin. And you've entered into that relationship with him. And he goes on to say, who has gone into the world and is uh, gone into heaven, shall I say, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his humanity obtained this power over all, and he did it in his humanity. Now, keep it in mind, Jesus had a human spirit. When he was formed inside Mary, the Spirit of God came upon uh, Mary, and that holy thing which was born of her would be called the Son of God. But understand, not only was he formed with the body to be fully with us, he had a human spirit, but without sin, because he did not inherit the seed of Adam, but he was fully human, you see. So he is uh, the one sent here for us with a human spirit, because we were made in the image of God. So this is very important, and so we need to see that uh, before we get really here into the next point, or that was supposed to be my first point this morning, but uh, under the risen Christ, there is authority. This good angel is sent down from God to the earth with this key to the bottomless pit. And I want to focus our attention, though, on the key. And I'll take you to Isaiah chapter 22, verses 19 through 22, and show you the importance in the, of the key back in the Bible days. Uh, now, Isaiah chapter uh, 22, verses 19 through 22 is actually looking at the day of uh, Hezekiah when he was king. Hezekiah is the king. 
He's got a man that has the key. His name is Shebna, but he's not a good, loyal servant. And so he has the key. And so with that thought in the background, knowing that right now Jerusalem is surrounded by 185,000 great troops of the Assyrian army. And uh, Shebna's at a point now where he's thinking, uh, I don't want to be with these guys. <laughs> Those guys out there, I, I don't want to die at their hand. And so some things are going on with Shebna. So listen as I read. And I will drive thee from thy station. And from thy state shall he pull thee down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Now Jesus Christ, of course, is going to come back at the end of the uh, seven years. We talk about the battle of Armageddon, but... They're going to set up a thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth. So in a way that this is a prophecy, this is a type of Jesus Christ, when he has given this to Hilkiah, uh, to this, this man that's going to take the place of Shebna, uh, he does that, and Jesus Christ is coming in now, and he is going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's going to rule in that power. Now, you need to understand that Shebna is in Hezekiah's administration. He has this position that is referenced here to the key to the house of David. And there's going to be a likeness for that. We're going to see here as we go along. But he had a position. It's kind of like being the prime minister. He can do things, carry out uh, enforcement of laws, and even sometimes write laws. And so we'll see a little bit more about that as well. But we kind of think about this, is that this guy has the key of the house of David at the moment. Jesus Christ will have the key of the house of David in that millennial reign. And where his people rule and reign with him. You read in, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, where there were those during the tribulation that was beheaded for the cause of Christ and for the, for the testimony that they had. And they shall reign with him. So all of that has to do with the reigning of Jesus Christ. And, and so this is a, a type of that. Now, to understand why he's talking about the key here, in that day, the men carried this key about their shoulder who had this position next to the king. They had the key, you might say, to the kingdom. And the one that bore this key, 
He had access to the king's treasures. And, and he had the key that he could allow or disallow people to come into the presence of the king. In that day, it meant something when people saw that key on that gold chain around this one's shoulders. He had great authority. It meant something. They were also robed in royal-type garments. And people realized the authority and the power of one who carried the key. Now, we have an example of that in the book of Esther. In Esther, she becomes the queen. And what a wicked counselor that would be the guy that had the key for that king, what he does is uh, he decides, I go out riding and everybody bows down to me when I ride in these royal robes the king has bestowed upon me in the key. And they bow down. But that Mordecai, he's not going to bow down. He wanted people to worship him. Now, this wasn't bowing down to say, uh, oh, here's a guy in authority. Yeah, you know, a lot of times in the far eastern uh, countries, they, they bow to one another like that. Okay, that's, that bow would have been all right. But these people are coming down to bow, like a worship type of a thing. Mordecai wouldn't do it. There's only one God that you worship. He wouldn't do it. So Haman was upset with Mordecai. He wanted him done away with. And so he goes to the king and he says, King, I'm 100% behind you. Now, many historians believe that this guy was going to try to build up his own thing and try to overthrow the king. He says, but you know, there's uh, people here that we have, the Jews, and, and they don't obey you, and they don't agree with you, and they're a detriment to your kingdom, and, and, and I would like to set up a law to where I can have these people killed. I'll give them money out of my own treasury, which I don't think that he probably would have. But if they'll kill these Jews on a certain day. And the king gave him, go ahead. Yeah, I don't want anybody to overthrow this kingdom. I don't want anybody to try to remove them. So that decree goes out. It's everywhere. It's kind of like having the mark 666 in the tribulation hour. And those that don't have it, they're going to be put to death. But now here, here this is going out. But during the night, Mordecai finds out about a couple guys that plan to assassinate the king. He goes in, tells Esther, has Esther told us Esther is his niece. He actually raised her. But the king doesn't know it. Nobody else knows it yet of the relationship. He tells her what's happened. She notifies the king and his men that what's about to happen. And they, sure enough, that was the plan. And those men are put to death. And it's forgotten about. Well, now that. Uh, Haman has set up this thing where they're going to kill uh, all the Jews. Mordecai tells Esther. Esther says, uh, what do you want me to do? She says, go and tell the king. You know, if anybody goes and tell the king that he has sent for, 
they can be put to death right there on the spot. If he doesn't hand, put out that thing, and I have no reason to go in there. And he says, well, we're God's chosen people. God will deliver us, but he'll take care of you that you won't have any part of this if you're not going to stand now when you have the chance to stand. So what do they do? Okay, they come up with a plan. She says, have everybody fast for me for three days. I'll have myself and my maidens fast before I try to go in to see the king. And I like her statement. I'm going to stand for what's right, is what she's saying. And she uses the words, if I perish, I perish. Okay? So she has that in her mind. She knows that. And so she goes to the king. King puts that uh, scepter upward to touch, and she's able to go into the king. She says, I just want to have a big banquet for you, and I, I, I wish you'd invite Haman to it. So they come the first day, they have this big banquet, and boy, Haman says, hey, look at me. I've really moved up. Even uh, Esther wanted me in there. She must, she must really be excited about me. She, she must really love me. So be, she'll be my queen when I get to be the uh, king. Well, he does, we don't see that's recorded, but you just kind of see that coming about. And so they had the feast that first day, and and uh, she's, the king says, Esther, what would you have me to do for you? She says, well, I'd like you to come back tomorrow and, and do it. Well, okay, that'd be great. Well, Haman, he leaves to go back home. He sees Mordecai over there. He's still not bowing. So he goes home. He says, look, this happened. Boy, they just really think I'm the greatest. And, and I got invited to this. Just me. All the others didn't get invited. I got invited. The queen wanted me there. He says, but this Mordecai, man, I tell you what, he eats me up. I just wanted to get rid of that guy. And so they said, hey, build a gallows. They're going to invite you to this party. They'll ask the king about it tomorrow. So he's going to ask the king tomorrow. That night, <laughs> that night the king can't sleep. And so nothing seems to work. So he says, okay, bring out the books, and I'll read the records here of what's been going on. And it reads about Mordecai. And he said, what did we do for this guy? I said, the, nothing. I mean, he saved my life and we didn't do anything for this guy. You know, so uh, he's kind of stirred up about that. He's been up all night when he read that. So the next day, when Haman comes to the party, he's thinking, okay, I got that gallows. It's 50 feet high, man. We're going to hang uh, uh, Mordecai on it. Boy, I can't wait for all of this. And he comes in, they say, who's there? And he says, oh, it, it's Haman. He's coming in. Oh, great, great, great. You know, Haman comes in. King says, Haman, if the king wants to really honor somebody, what, what would you suggest? And Haman's saying, all right, he wants to honor me. So let's do this. And he says to the king, uh, well, why don't we... Get one of the king's top men in his government. And, and let's have him take one of the king's horses, the king's horse, and put his uh, blanket over and let him ride this man that the king wants to honor on that. And as he walks through the city to tell people, such is that for those whom the king wants to honor and the people are to bow down. Haman in his mind is thinking, who would he want to honor above me? 
And so the king says, man, hey, man, that's a great idea. I want you to get the horse, I want you to get the robes and put them on Mordecai and take him through. Haman says, I'm in trouble. He does it. He goes home. He tells his wife. He says, and, and they gave him encouragement words. says, well, it looks like it's over for you. And uh, so he goes back. He gets back there, and, and they're having the banquet. And then finally, the king says, Esther, what is it you want me to do? She said, just save my people's all I want. So there's been a decree to have them put to death. And they've been good people here. They haven't tried to overthrow your government. And, all. and so he's, she's telling them all the good about it. And he says, well, who has this idea that would want to kill your family, your people? Haman. And as the story progresses, they'll hang Haman on the gallows that he built. But Mordecai, he stood he was faithful. And so that key that belonged to Haman now is given to Mordecai. And he writes laws that unset what they were going to do. And God actually blessed the kingdom under Mordecai's hand as he was there. So that's a story that is there in the Bible. And it is uh, illustrates what was happening here in Isaiah about uh, uh, Shebna being a bad guy. And, and then Hilkiah being able to come in, or the son of Hilkiah being able to come in to take his place. And you say, well, where do we have a lot of this? How do we learn a lot of this? Well, rabbinical writings, a lot of times, you, I don't look at rabbinical writings as Bible, but they do have history in them. And so they recorded a lot of history for us. And so here, at this time of this writing, the Assyrian armies are surrounding Jerusalem. And in the rabbinical writings, it tells us that Shebna, is planning to go to the kings of Syria and betray Hezekiah. And so what he'll do is, since he has the key, he'll lead them to the treasuries and the riches of the king and, and open them up to them. And all, all he wants is to have deliverance. And have a special place, uh, just at least uh, have some riches with them and, and, and a good protected place. So when Shebna walks outside the gates, rabbinical writings say they slammed the gates behind him. <laughs> he wasn't coming back in. A lot of those guys knew what he was up to. They slammed the gates behind him. And he goes on to the generals of Assyria, tells them what he wants to do. But they take him, sandals are off, and they bore those spikes through the heels of his feet. And then they drag him through the briars and the thorns. Knowing that's happened, this is then when Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, is given the key, which is similar to becoming the new prime minister. So he'll rule, uh, he'll reign, so to speak, with the king. He'll carry out the things that benefits the king. And as a faithful servant, he'll rule and reign with Hezekiah, just as faithful people of God rule and reign with Christ in eternity. And so it's given to us 
We can see. We think of the one in the Bible that Jesus told the example. He gave them all the gift. One increased his to ten. The other one just buried his in the ground. But he still had the gift. It's just buried in the ground. He brings it out. He says, well, I was afraid of how you'd do, so I, I just buried it. He said, well, okay, we'll take the one from him and give it to him that has the ten. And I said, what? wait a minute. He's got ten. What does he need another one for? Well, the Lord knows he'll take care of it. You see? And so you have an example of what will happen, I believe, sometimes at the judgment seat of Christ. Some people will be saved so as by fire, ashamed at his appearing, and they will count the loss, the Bible tells us. They were not faithful. And so that comes up. Now, again, Jesus is the king of kings. Yes, he was a creator. But he obtained the keys in his human body and spirit when he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And that's why Revelation 1.18 says that he has the keys of hell and of death. And so... There are people... One day will be cast to the lake of fire from the white throne judgment. But that's not what's happening now in our text. In our text in Revelation chapter 9 is during the tribulation. But I want you to understand the importance of the key. And this angel, this high-ranking angel is sent down with the key. Now why was this that way? I mean, why did that happen? Well, we must remember, verse 2 said, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke up out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. This pit is bottomless. So the idea is one that is there would always have the sensation of falling. Who was hell created for? The devil and his angels. There are a lot that teach. Well, we believe that uh, this is a Satan or one of his angels. No. God is not going to give Satan the key to the place that was prepared to punish Satan. Okay? Now, I know people teach that and a lot... Uh, men that are a lot uh, smarter than I am have taught that, but it doesn't the scripture agree with the scriptures. Now, so Jesus gives this key to the angel. But let's go back to creation. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whoever the Word is, he's God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So whoever the Word is, all things were made by Him. Without Him it wasn't made. But in the beginning was the Word. You know what the idea there is in its Greek uh, presentation? At the very moment of creation, He already was. He already was. He didn't have a beginning, and he doesn't have an ending. That's why we'll read in the book of Hebrews. Remember, 
that priest, Melchizedek, hath no beginning, no ending. Jesus has no beginning or no ending in his deity. But he does take on human flesh. That's why we read in verse, uh, I believe it's 10 in, in John chapter 1, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born, and not of blood, nor flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word, remember the Word is God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is Jesus Christ. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son, who was given, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And just one other proof there, I believe it's around verse 16, John chapter 1. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus became a man that he might declare God the Father. So that when you realize that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see that within the council of the Trinity, back before the creation of man, what went on. And what a special blessing that is. Now, God created, but we also understand that when God created, he gave man dominion over the earth. You'll notice in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, the account there. Now understand, keep it in mind. Jesus is all a part of this. The creation, he created. Without him was not anything made that was made. And so he says in Genesis chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Us? Our He's not talking about angels. That's within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But they're all their spirits. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the image that we're, we inherit is that we are made in the image of the spirit, not the image of a body, in the image of a spirit. So he said, let's make him in our image after our likeness. God doesn't look like me, and you can be thankful for that. But I do have a spirit that has a free will, and that's the likeness that we were created in. And he says, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 
And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, he gave them the command to replenish. The idea is to fill the earth with more people. That was God's plan. We're told male and female created he them. Now today, for some reason or another, man thinks that they've outsmarted God and they have about 30 or more genders. I wonder when there are people that actually believe that. You know, this COVID thing has dominated the news. I, I've noticed some things they put out there. How many, the percentage on, of COVID with men and women. The percentage of COVID with older and younger. The percentage of COVID with, say, Hispanic or with black or with white or with Asian or what have you. In other words, the differences between various races, groups. But you know, it's kind of funny. I haven't seen the numbers yet on the different types, the 30 different genders. You've heard me say it before. They talk about global warming, talk about these other things going on. I get up, one of the things I do in the mornings, I look at the five-day forecast and believe it or not, every great once in a while, they get it right, about once a month. You know, and they say, that's science. You need to follow the science. Well, if that's the science, I don't want it. I like the science that's not science falsely so-called that he made the male and female. And that's the way God did it. And there's not, I'm not a male inside a female's body or vice versa, okay? And so why in the world do people even give space to that in their mind, their thinking, and their life? So wrong. So evil. But God gave this to man to have dominion over all of this, the sea, the fowl, everything that moveth upon the earth. We had that dominion. Man fell when Satan tempted him, using a serpent to speak to a serpent, and he tempted man. Eve gave in. She was deceived. Adam knew, but he just decided, well, I don't want to lose Eve, and so he did it knowingly. He was more presumptuous than Eve, and he dies. That is, he dies spiritually that very day. His spirit is separated from God. Eve's spirit is separated from God. Oh, they'll live many years after that as far as physically, but unless they have a Savior, hell is their eternity. And anybody born in this world, unless you have a Savior, you don't receive Him, you'll also have an eternity in that great lake of fire. Now, man had dominion. 
Satan was able to tempt man to fall, and man fell. When Satan was able to be able to have victory over man, it's just like in the Bible where you see a king comes in and he takes a country. Now he rules that country. His armies have that country. Satan now has the dominion over those things. That's why at the mount where he was tempted in the wilderness and then he was, had these different things put on the pinnacle of the temple, then taken up in the mountain, and, Lord, and Satan shows him the, all the kingdoms of a world in a moment of time. And Satan says to Jesus, all these kingdoms I'll give you, for that is mine to give if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus, don't try to tempt the Lord your God. But just think about it. It was his to give. It was his to give because he obtained that right from man. That's why we needed a Savior who would not have a sin nature like you and I do, but would be born, endured the temptations that you and I have endured and gone through, not give in, not sin one time, for only he could be our deliverer. Only he could pay our penalty, and only he could raise from the dead, and only he could have authorities, angels, being subjected unto him because he rose bodily from the grave. And by the way, it was his deity that raised his human spirit and body. And because of that, and because he's a creator, one day we will have a body that's fashioned like unto his glory. So we think of this. Jesus has the keys of hell and of death. The lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That men who do not receive Christ go to that place. But God entrusts us to carry a key. He gives us that authority to carry a key and open the treasures of his word and show man the most valuable thing that man could ever have in a lifetime on earth, the salvation of God, the precious blood that could not be bought. And you and I have, we have that key. Let's not allow rejection, scorn, or any other thing that man may do keep us from being the witness of the gospel we need to be. PJ in his prayer tonight, he is thankful for the children who came in on the bus. I like that. Because in many of those cases, the first time they'll ever hear the gospel is right here. Brother Reuben stood up today and told us about one getting saved in, in OCA. We get people here that have religion, but they don't have Christ. 
All, listen, all these teachers, all these people that work in the various areas in the office and the maintenance and in the other areas, the lunchroom and all that, they have very important jobs. But the most important thing they have is to carry that key because there are students. And you see, the robe that we wear must be kingly robes. Dressed in his righteousness. Dressed in his holiness. Carrying the key that leads them to Christ. Pray for these bus workers. Pray, Lord, give us more labors for the bus ministry. Pray for these teachers and all these employees that work with OCA. But pray for one another. Because revival won't come through one or two people. It comes as a result of God working through his people. And if there's going to be souls saved in this country, we've got to be willing to carry that key. Dressed in those distinctive robes, That are the robes that the Lord said, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Those robes of, uh, that we'll be dressed in in heaven, the robes of righteousness. Put on those robes. So that one day you'll be walking down the streets of glory, those golden, transparent, streets, and someone walks up to you and says, thank you for giving me the gospel. I got a mother, I got a dad, I got a brother, I got a sister down there in that lake of fire, but you gave me the gospel, you cared for my soul. See, a lot of the world doesn't have family that gives them the gospel. Will you be the one? Let's bow our heads, please.